yeah, he got on Twitter and he was basically like, hey, this is great, but you don't have to watch it. Hello and welcome to The Cutdown, a podcast all about the art of trailer editing. I'm Rick Thomas. And I'm Derek Liu, and this is episode number seven. Yep, and this week we're going to talk about the process of starting a trailer, dealing with that blank timeline. Yeah, and we're also going to talk about the trailer for Knives Out, the new film by Ryan Johnson. I'm Detective Lieutenant Elliot, and this is Trooper Wagner. We just want to ask a few questions. Yeah, this is a great trailer. Um, it really captured attention. Uh, it's actually very similar to a trailer for um, Ready or Not that came out. Uh, they're both kind of set in rich people's mansions and involve death. They think they have to kill you before sunrise. Or something very bad will happen to the family. If we don't find her and perform the ritual, we're all dead. Um, but this is uh, kind of notable Knives Out because of how it was framed by the director in terms of what we've talked about with um, spoilers previously. Yeah, he got on Twitter and he was basically like, hey, this is great, but you don't have to watch it. <laughs> yeah, he said, uh, trailer's here, I love it, but as always, it doesn't give anything major away, but it does show things that are most enjoyably seen for the first time in the movie. If you want to come in totally clean, you know what to do. Yeah, and I'm glad that you remembered the name of the other trailer because I was, as I was watching this, I was thinking to myself, there's another movie that had a trailer that had this setup, but it was a lot more spoilery than this one. Yeah, uh, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, they're both they're both super fun. I think probably the thing is about the Ryan Johnson thing is, you know, he's going to look at some of the imagery there and think, you know, this is a clue. And I think as the director, you're going to be a lot closer to the material. So he probably sees all the shots that are maybe from the final act or reveal some kind of information that obviously as as the writer director you know he's going to be so close to but for us we're like i have no clue and it just looks cool you know it's like we talked about previously with get out it's only after the fact that you realize that some of the imagery you were seeing was potentially a spoiler yeah the parts that i can only assume are things that he might be talking about are maybe some of the character interaction or some of the jokes because other than that, you know, things like the the syringe and the, the knives, they're just images without any particular context except for what we take to it for ourselves. So Yeah, there is uh, a section where one character kind of reacts as if someone's drawing a knife on her, but I don't actually know whether that's a cheat and whether that knife is in that room or that's just a look of shock or something. Maybe someone's facing off against her, but I'm not sure without having seen it whether that's a cheat or a, is that something that actually happens in the movie. Yeah. And if you just look at the trailer itself, you realize that it's exactly what you're going to know about the movie just from hearing the premise, which is just, you know, a bunch of people in a house, someone murdered someone, we don't know who did it. And that's pretty much it, except for, you know, character interaction and the relationships there. Uh, actually, one interesting thing was I saw this in theaters really recently when I went to see um, Spider-Man Far From Home. And the version that's on YouTube, it's a little bit different from the one I saw in theaters because in theaters they didn't have the eat shit section with Chris Evans. Up your ass. Oh, very nice. Matter of fact, oh my God. eat shit. How's that? Eat shit. Eat shit. Eat shit. Definitely eat shit. I don't remember exactly how they changed it, but they didn't have him swearing. Oh, that's interesting. You are allowed a certain bit of swearing in a trailer, but maybe the fact that he says he eats shit about 17 times <laughs> yeah. was too much. 
I was looking up this trailer again. I was looking to see if this was a Red Band trailer, but it's not marked that way at all. Well, I think, yeah, maybe then you can have as many shits as you like, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> but you cannot have a fuck. And we are now rated explicit. On yeah, YouTube. you're right. We've had the explicit tag the entire time. I don't think we've sworn in any of our other episodes. Well, so in for a penny, in for a pound. Um, my favorite bit of this trailer is I think the graphics are great. Uh, on this, they do some really great integration with with shots. There's a bit with a kind of is it a magnifying glass? Yeah, yeah. Or a scope over the house, and the graphics are kind of distorting with magnifying glass. And then there's a coin being tossed by Daniel Craig, and the graphics are interacting with that. And then there's all these kind of elements. And Ryan Johnson shoots quite stylishly, so I don't know whether those elements are actually in the movie or whether they've been recreated just for the graphics. But they work really well. Yeah, it looks like they're all things taken from the movie because. Like, like the syringe and i mean there's so many knives that pretty much by the odds that the knife in the graphics is one of those knives i also the the music is really really good i went back to listen to the original song so they use this song i'm gonna live until i die it's frank sinatra which i don't know if he did the original version or if his is a cover or not but they have a trailerized version for it where they must have either gotten stems or processed it somehow because the original has a lot of very jazzy instrumentation um, which there's a little bit in this version, but it sounds like they mostly took the voice, made it kind of echoey, which makes it sort of fit the mystery aspect of the film. And then they added bigger, more trailery music beats to go with his vocals. You think one of his walls walls killed? Is that what you're suggesting? love twisting the knife into one another yeah it's kind of in that swingy jazz kind of way especially when the music kind of kicks off but initially yeah it's very similar to the uh, impossible dream cover on um john wick john wick where they've kind of reverbed it out and and made this kind of big presence and, and very trailery yeah but even just the original vocal track is really good just in terms of trailer pacing like they, they cut out a whole big swath of the song but in terms of just the vocals um the way that certain parts of the voice are emphasized really fit that sort of trailer rhythm where you can fit accents over the way he sings so so it's like and then he has a big finish at the end which is just very much like made for a trailer climax oh and especially made for the cast run of this because they have about 59 people in the cast run um but it goes a little bit like this And that's working really well, like Derek says, with the structure of the song is kind of lending itself to that kind of stopping and starting in a queue is always a great thing in trailers. Yeah. Because you can stop out for a joke or an accent or a moment. And I wasn't even sure if he actually repeated live, 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 live at the end. But it's because it seems like something that a trailer editor would do to just repeat that. But that's just the original song so uh, it was really really good choice it's a good thing about music that sometimes it has those kind of peaks and troughs and stops and starts that can inform how you cut so you listen to that bit and you go okay great this is this is gonna be my cast run and it can kind of help things go uh and just just some little small things just in terms of the editing of this trailer um something i noticed that you might not think of when you're just watching it is that you can see this trailer, they try as hard as they can to 
just show all the characters from the very, very beginning. You just see everyone's face within the first, like, 20 seconds just to get that out of the way. Could always be contractual as well. That's the thing when you've got a big cast like this, it could be, you know, you show one person or, or each person has to have a certain percentage of screen time and, and with a big ensemble like this, you could have to share it out between them. As you say, they had to get around every character, but the music is quite slow, so it's not lending itself to a kind of a person in each beat of the music kind of thing. So it's interesting that the picks are actually cutting a lot quicker than the music is, is kind of implying pace-wise. Cool. So yeah, check out the trailer for uh, Knives Out and also Ready or Not in the genre of people dying in big mansions. Yes. A twisted web. We are not finished untangling it. Not yet. What is this? CSI KFC? Um, So in episode four, we talked about the process of breaking down material and gathering music and uh, how to work with dialogue and pictures and basically get to the point of the starting line of cutting a trailer um and here we're going to talk about the process of actually starting getting something down on on your blank timeline now i will say that you're not always starting from scratch um you might have an idea a script a client direction a music cue um but still you know at some point you need to make the leap and and get something down so um so derek how do you uh, how do you overcome editor's block <laughs> well it's still a thing Um, But I'm trying to be a little bit more bold by just plopping stuff down onto a timeline. Like, I've told people before, you know, just put something on the timeline, just put something on the timeline, because it's a lot easier to look at something and see that it's bad rather than have something that's not there and think, like, what how to make this good, you know? Like, if I have a shot that really clearly should not be in, say, the second act or the climax or the intro, it'll be pretty much apparent right away when I look at it just because of my experience and just my taste. Um, It's also really important just because you need to know the timing of certain things. So for a game's example, there are certain things in a game, like, I don't know, a character's jump and shoot move or something like that, which takes a certain amount of time that you might be able to try to think about in your head, but until it's actually on the timeline, you don't actually know how much time that takes up. So that's one good reason to just start putting things on there to just see how much time you have to work with, because you might realize that you had a lot less time than you thought. Yeah, I think that's important as well. I think you can get something on a timeline, even to the point of... um I don't know how it works in Premiere, but in Avid and even Final Cut, I would put Slug or Filler, or a, or in Avid, I'd put a, I'll put a mask down to the rough duration of what I'm kind of aiming for. So if I'm cutting a 30-second TV spot, I'll put 30 seconds down, a trailer, kind of two and a half minutes. And then you've got an idea, and even if you put a music cue down, if you put Frank Sinatra, I'm going to live till I die down, you'll say, okay, well, in this duration... I'm going to be able to get to these bits of the queue and and this is the wrong kind of pace. And if it's a 30-second TV spot and I want to use this bit of music, I've only got enough time for two rounds of the music, so maybe I need something a bit more kind of up-tempo. Being aware of the time, like you say, is really important. I also don't start from blank to, say, game capture right away. Usually I have some sort of text title cards I think we've talked about before where it'll be something like, you know, this is the part where this character says this, or this is the part where 
uh, we're going to cut to black because we're going to have a stop down moment, you know, and this is where the, the climax begins. So I'll have very roughly those ideas mapped out just with text. And that also helps if I'm working with a composer for a game trailer because they need to have some sort of reference in order to get working. Yeah, I guess that's I guess that's if you have a specific idea of kind of the sections you want to get to, but um, sometimes even further back and you have no idea where you're going to go and and you just need to kind of start with something, as we said before, just get something down on a blank timeline. Um, often what I'll do is just put some kind of shots down, completely unrelated, just put a, a sequence of shots that are about 30 seconds down and use that to go through the music that I've done put some music down and then chances are you might have that perfect bit of serendipity where you put it down and one of your random shots syncs up with something <laughs> and, it, and it sparks an idea and you and you go okay that's something recently i was cutting something and i put a bit of music down and i had a, a random card a bit of title tool on my timeline this year or something and the music mm-hmm. even though i put it down randomly the music hit and stopped down with a with a little ping on the card <laughs> <laughs> and it happened at the right time. And even though it was complete chance, it meant that I went with that bit of music because it worked so well. And I was like, oh, this is going to help me structurally. It feels right. It, you know, it feels good with the shots. So that's something to kind of hang my hat on. And, and from there, it, it kind of started. So when you're putting music with just random clips, are you watching to test how the the tone matches the footage or it doesn't match the footage? Is what's what's going through your head when you're doing that? Yeah, I, I guess I'm I'm testing a few things. Yeah, tone, um, pace, tempo, whether something is is kind of lyrically interfering with the footage. But generally, yeah, tone. You can tell quite quickly if you don't know what the tone is going to be or you're not kind of taking the music from the feature so you've kind of already seen the music in context of the film, then it's a good way to kind of gauge, oh, this feels good, this feels interesting. Ideas are branching from there and it's suggesting other things and it feels like it would be fun to cut with and and work. Yeah, and that gets to a good point of something that editors say all the time, which is they edit by feel. I always read interviews with editors and people usually ask things like, how do you know when something is correct or something is wrong? And more often than not, they say something like, well, it's by feel, which is a very, very unsatisfying answer to hear when you're trying to learn. Um, But it's kind of true. Uh, And I guess we're talking about so far a lot of situations where we put things together so that we can have some sort of feeling, uh, which you just can't do with a blank timeline or just music by itself or dialogue by itself necessarily. No, you'll know. And that's that feeling is, yes, it's kind of hard to quantify, but also it's the kind of thing that comes with experience and time and watching trailers and watching movies. And, and you will, it, it could be something organic that we just have inherently as humans, but also it could be something that you've just gathered by watching a lot of stuff and knowing how something feels right because it's like other things or it's doing, it's doing something that other things have done. Yeah. Something I get asked a lot also is if I storyboard my trailers, which I've almost never done, which even in games is probably the most appropriate time to do that because it's a situation where I have to be making my own shots. I don't have the shots to start with, but usually I just let uh, dialogue lead me if if it's available. Um, Or I think about... Uh, for like a gameplay trailer, um, the order that things need to go in in order to be understood, which a good way to think about that for games is to think about the way game tutorials are structured. Like you think about first level in Super Mario uh, Brothers, where 
you know, they don't start you off with the most complicated thing. They kind of slowly introduce ideas. And there's, there's a really good Game Maker's Toolkit episode on YouTube that came out recently about making Super Mario Maker levels, which when I was watching that, I was thinking, this is just advice for making trailers, basically, <laughs> except for level design, because saying, oh, you know, then once you've established an idea, then add a little twist and then make it more exciting. It's like, that's a trailer. <laughs> Yeah, totally. There's there's probably a lot of parallels. But then equally, maybe it's just a structural thing that occurs in all kind of art. I mean, I don't know, you probably chat to a, a book author and you say, hey, does everything kind of flow from A to B? Or do you need to know where you're going at the end to kind of know what you're doing? Or do you structure something out? Do you have an act one, act two, act three, that kind of stuff? It's, it's probably any kind of screenwriters, authors, um, or painters. Like- cooking maybe if you're making like a multi-course meal or something you don't want to like put all the heavy stuff together you gotta oh yeah and you need a uh, and you need a what a bit of uh, cleanser. yeah palate cleanser like how the, you have sushi you have the the ginger <laughs> yeah totally um so i worked with uh i worked with an editor once and he um he encountered this and and he had some ideas to to kind of get over that blank timeline kind of thing and and he said that actually sometimes it's good to impose limitations on you Mm. so he would say do a thing where you can not have any shot that's longer than 10 frames and see what happens to you so lay a sequence of random shots that are all 10 frames long and put some music under it and see if that kind of suggests anything to you Um, is there a way to tell your story purely visually with no dialogue um, or is there a way to, to tell it as if it's a radio spot and, and purely with dialogue? What if there's no music? Um, you know, what if you leave one character out intentionally until the very end? All of these kind of things are kind of exercises in getting something down and seeing if anything sticks and, and works for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to be better about just throwing stuff onto the timeline, but some, there's just a part of me that's thinking, oh my God, it's going to look terrible. But I have to just tell myself, the whole point is for it to look terrible so then that I will fix it. Because, I mean, everyone's a critic, so whenever they see anything that they don't like, immediately they'll say, you know, well, this, this, and this is wrong. And you can't do that unless you're actually looking at something. So I try to just throw shots on, sometimes as willy-nilly as possible, uh, on top of a music track, and then just start adjusting, basically. That's what we do. Just adjust, adjust, adjust until it gets, <laughs> uh, until it goes out the door. Yeah. I've never uh, started a trailer in terms of some of those approaches, like, but those are really good ideas um, because, like, the, like, I'm thinking about the, you know, telling the story visually. That's something you want to do with a trailer as much as possible because people will process visuals faster than, say, you know, text. Yeah, I think, I think probably there's there's information that you can get in a shot. They always say that, I think just in general filmmaking, if you can if you can communicate something with an action or a, a shot or a, a camera reveal and without a bit of expositional dialogue, then that's then that's kind of better. So you know, a picture says a thousand words, um, and if you are saying words, then you don't want to kind of because of the kind of messages that you can take away from visuals, you don't want to be doing two mixed messages at the same time. Often we say things like, "See what you say." So. If you're saying something in dialogue, um, you want to back that up visually. Right. Basically, by having the dialogue be dissonant with the visuals, you're creating extra like cognitive load uh, on the audience. So it's just that much harder for them to process. Um, and that's just one of those things that it seems like, oh, you know, editing, just matching the dialogue to what is being shown. That seems like 
the easy thing to do, and it is, but it's also the really good thing to do. And I'm surprised how often I see when there'll be like a title card say like, you know, amazing superpowers, and then the next shot, no superpowers. I'm like, come on, <laughs> you gave yourself a cheat sheet when you didn't use it. Yeah, that's really interesting as well, because uh, if you have those kind of copy cards, do you illustrate the point of the copy card before or after? And I guess it's a kind of linear I, I think left to right because I'm imagining looking at a timeline, mm-hmm. um, which is a very kind of abstract concept. Like if you haven't done editing before, it's laid out in a very kind of left to right as if you're reading it. Imagine it's like from zero to 100 and, and everything will kind of go linearly from left to right. Yeah. Is that the worst description of a t- <laughs> of whatever timeline? Can you, can you explain a timeline? To, to someone, someone who's, who's never, never seen, seen an editing before? timeline? An editing timeline is if all your clips are represented as rectangles on this blank space and everything that is on the left happens earlier and everything on the right is what happens later, which is also a Western way of viewing it because, of course, there's cultures that read right to left. Um, yeah. Which that would, be, that would be interesting if like there was a totally different version of Premiere for people who read right to left so then it makes more sense but yeah there's actually no reason why it shouldn't go backwards oh actually i have a question for you about dialogue do you do dialogue on the timeline first or do you do paper edits yeah paper edits can be uh, a really interesting thing i mean i will kind of throw them down on a timeline because then you're they're accessible and you can listen to them but sometimes a paper edit especially if i've been given a a script and I'm cutting a TV spot, the way that they're laid out on a page will be kind of the copy separated by a couple of lines and then I'll take that script and I'll kind of write what the lines could possibly be in the middle there and kind of and kind of paper edit it. And often I'll I'll even do the thing of, you know, taking post-it notes of lines or structural points and kind of move them around and writing something down on, on a piece of paper and, and drawing arrows from here to there can definitely help. How about you? Um, yeah, I usually start with a paper edit. What I do is I have like a series of text documents and gradually as each version is made, each one has less dialogue in it. So like, for example, the very first one is like all the dialogue that I think I could possibly use. And then I'll basically do a breakdown of the dialogue in the text document by like category. Or I'll also organize it by sometimes uh, by act. So say this sounds like a, you know, act two sort of line. This one sounds like an act three line. And if it sounds like it could be in either, I'll just put it in both just to try, uh, try to get that sort of structure and then I'll do things like remove lines that sound redundant um, and just gradually whittle it down that way. And then from there, once I have something, I will then find the clips and then put that into my timeline and then get going. Right. Yeah, that's a good way of kind of sparking ideas as well. And then basically, you mentioned an interesting phrase there, whittling down. I think actually just whittling down stuff, that's that's kind of what we do. You know, you you... If you put stuff down on the timeline, you have this kind of rough bit of wood and then you're gradually kind of chipping it away and and sculpting it into the point where it looks like a beautiful new trailer. (laughs) Hopefully. So then after figuring out dialogue, then you do music next? Uh, Yeah, no, it's kind of, it it kind of varies, varies with everything. I think it's just in that general stage of kind of coming up with ideas. Music can come first, dialogue can come first, a couple of shots kind of starting at the end. I'll do anything that kind of gets me out of that whole of of not having anything down on a on a timeline um often a a thing that you can do is um 
get away from your desk as well. What you were talking about just there in terms of putting something down in a in a text document, you know, that's a different kind of forum, but actually it's something that might kind of spark ideas. Often I have the best ideas in the shower. I'll just be thinking about something. I'll have watched something and, and be away from it. And often at that time where you're not kind of sat facing it, you'll have an idea and then you have to rush out of the shower and write it down on your phone and send yourself an email. And then you'll get to work and be like, there's an email saying, J meets B over dinner, then hilarity. You know, uh, just some kind of random note that made sense to me then. And I've actually, I've forgotten now what it means, but I'm sure it was a great idea at the time. <laughs> I, I have the same thing for when I'm exercising in the park, except uh, I use that time to just completely unplug. So I don't have my phone. I don't have a notepad. I should have, I should bring a notepad, but I always think about maybe uh, a direction for a trailer or the order something should go in when I'm like jumping rope or something like that. Um, so there are times when I'm thinking, oh, I don't have enough time to go to the park and exercise. But then the other part of me says, no, actually, that's the best time. That is that is part of the process because I know I'm going to come up with something um, and then be more fresh when I come back. Yeah, and also kind of do do what we were talking about last time, which is go and see a movie, listen to some music, go and do something else. Something else might kind of spark an idea. Creativity comes out of adversity. Not that having a shower is adversity. Maybe exercising in the park is adversity. <laughs> so let's say you have your dialogue and a piece of music. Maybe it's not the final piece of music, but it's good enough to get working. What's the next step for you? Uh, probably what we were talking about before. So kind of uh, doing what you do, which is lay down kind of rough structural ideas. So if I have an open or an ending or something like that, I'll put a big bit of title tool over the top saying this is the end. And then I'll kind of start with maybe three title cards of like interesting beginning. <laughs> uh, act two, where stuff happens. Act two, turn, where some information is revealed. And act three, montage, copy run, big title, you know. And that will give me some idea, kind of what we were talking about earlier on the timeline, looking and seeing this kind of rough scope of how the whole thing's going to play out and start filling in the gaps, really. Yeah, I'll do something similar. So it could be something like, this is when they're being successful. This is when things go wrong. This is when they find their resolve and are almost going to succeed again, but we don't know. Or this is when, you know, we're not sure if they're going to be okay, that sort of thing. And then you can find shots to match that. Usually what I'll do if I have dialogue is just put the most obvious visual connections over the dialogue first. And that will give me the just that'll fill in something so then that my next problem will be okay what fits in the cracks and this is when usually i realize that oh wait i should have some scenes where the dialogue is spoken on screen and we're actually just showing an actual scene from the game or the movie um because a lot of times like i, I said before uh i forget to have dialogue in its own context because sometimes that's important <laughs> Yeah, no, that's interesting. It's something we talked about last time on um, with Independence Day, where actually they showed a lot more of those characters talking in sync than you probably would do these days, and it and it also depends on kind of what point of the trailer you are. But the title tool sections thing is interesting because um, sometimes I'll, I'll have them up there and it'll say big action montage here and someone will come in and watch the trailer and it's these markers that make sense to me, but they'll go, are you planning to have that on screen? <laughs> is that, you can have some shots there, right? Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. I don't really like to, to show um, anyone something until it's 
pretty far along, um, which is why actually something that I know a lot of people do, they'll have 20 to 30 seconds kind of mapped out. They may not know where the rest of the trade is going, but they will they will finesse the front almost kind of fanatically to the point where it's the only bit of the trader that's properly sound designed and, and the shots are there and even kind of graphic ideas are there to have something to show people when they come in and go, how's your, uh, how's your, how's your trader going? <laughs> so they have like a, a vertical slice to show them. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, because you work independently, so I don't know whether y- you get that pressure, but maybe you need to show the client something at some point. No, at this point, I work more in layers, so... Uh, it doesn't look super good until the very end. Uh, or, or it could just be like very random chunks look kind of good. But uh, since I don't have to have that sort of like voila sort of moment, um, I probably did that more when I first started. But at this point, I just want to be able to have the opportunity to uh, change direction if necessary before I do a lot of work, which fortunately the people I work with uh, are okay with that, or at least... They haven't complained. <laughs> yeah, it's good if you have the time to time to do that. Obviously, this whole process changes where, depending on your time, like like sometimes having a lot of time to do something is is great, and you can really spend the time to go down those kind of wrong alleys and and say, oh, you know, I spent a day or two on this, but actually now I can see it's not working, and then having the time to kind of turn that around and, and restart. Maybe uh, I've known a lot of people do that, whereas. Sometimes if you've got two days to cut a trailer, then as soon as something clicks and and like we said earlier, is is something to hang your hat on, you kind of commit to that and go, okay, well, this is going to be something. I'm going to have something on a timeline, <laughs> so I'll I'll go down this rabbit hole. Actually, that's something I also wanted to ask you: is does your approach change if you are really really pressed for time? Because there are probably certain things that maybe you can't do when you have something due in I don't know, a few hours or a day. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I definitely, as I was just saying, just kind of the minute that one thing works, I'll kind of commit to that instead of going, uh, you know, okay, that works, but then what other scenarios are there? Often when I'm cutting something, because there are so many kind of roads that you can go down, I'll start with kind of five or six different intros or five or six different music cues and, and kind of half explore all of them at the same time and maybe if I get bored of doing one then I'll switch to the other and and gradually I'll kind of coalesce to a point where I'm preferring one idea or I can merge a couple of ideas together but when I'm pressed for time it's just whatever will fill the timeline (laughs) and and luckily you know sometimes the best work comes out of that kind of adversity. Yeah that's a pretty good constraint to set for yourself like give yourself you know, a certain amount of time, less time than you would normally want, and just see what happens. And if you're just doing it for practice, then uh, then there's no harm. But you, um, you, I think you also have your own kind of tropes and fallbacks and things that will work and ideas that you've tried on other things that that maybe can work on this. Um, I realized recently I was I I cut the trailer for Mr. Turner and uh, which was the Tim Spall Turner biopic and also Miss Potter, which many, many years ago was the Rene Zellweger Beatrix Potter movie. And both of those trailers that I cut start with someone kind of criticizing or complimenting the artist's work, but you don't quite know who the artist is. And then at mm. some point, there's a reveal, reveal the name. of the name. Oh. Yes. Exceedingly beautiful. I thank you. Thank you, Mr. Turner. I was like... Um, you are an excellent artist, Mr. Turner. And then, you know, that's kind of launching into the <laughs> right. launching into the trailer because the pertinent information is 
for those their biopics so the person in information is the 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 character who it is and then it's kind of like you will never make a successful artist miss potter <laughs> and then you're kind of off on one bunnies and jackets with brass buttons however to imagine such things mm. we will not sell a great number of copies but i think we can turn a small profit we would like to publish your little book miss potter so I did Miss Potter first, and then when, by the time I got to Mr. Turner, it just kind of worked, and I tried not to do it, and it was the, <laughs> it was just the best thing. Artist biopics is a very, uh, is a very niche genre. <laughs> I often run into the situation where I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to try something different because I'm always doing the same thing, or at least I feel like I am. So like I'll try to do, you know, two different directions for this trailer, but then as I'm doing it, I'll just naturally prefer one, and then just end up sending one anyway. <laughs> Because uh, I just I can't really fight my own taste. I suppose is the lesson, which is a good thing because actually too much indecision and and yeah, I mean, in terms of overcoming that blank timeline and getting something done, at some point you've got to commit to something and you've got to trust your instinct at some point. Otherwise, you'd never get anything done. Yeah, and also um, you can't escape your own style and taste as much as you may try. Because they're just things that you enjoy. Like, I, I forget which tr- trailer it was that I did. I got a comment, it was either on YouTube or on Twitter, and someone just said, like, oh, I thought this was a trailer by you. And I was thinking, how? <laughs> and I'm like, what is it? I, I, didn't, I didn't grill them for specifics, but, I mean, that feels both good and bad in a way. Because it's cool that someone could look at something and say, hey, this must be a Derek Lou trailer. But, uh if it feels like I'm being predictable, then that doesn't necessarily feel good. Unless, you know, it's just a formula that people like. Like, oh, it's cool. Derek did the thing that I always love when he does that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or it could be, it doesn't have to be the whole thing. It can be one little particular touch or the way you do something. and uh... Or the one sound effect I use all the time. <laughs> yeah. Right. I've heard that before. Uh, so when you're filling in a timeline or, or kind of working on something, do you do you kind of start at the beginning and, and work to the end, or do you kind of leap all around until it's full? Or I kind of leap around. So, like the, like I was saying before, I'll start with the most obvious shots. Okay. So I'll think, okay, this needs to be spoken on screen, or this p- piece of dialogue should clearly go with this bit of gameplay. Um, and then from there, I'll just try to make some sort of match that is maybe less obvious. Um, this is something that I see in trailers a lot, which, I mean, I do it too. Um, but I don't have a name for it. But basically, there are a lot of times in trailers where there are some like very tenuous connections made between the visuals and the dialogue. And it'll be something like... Uh, the example I always think about is there's one of the Wrinkle in Time trailer where the line is something like, you know, don't believe everything you can see. And then the shot is someone like pulling their glasses down. It's like, it doesn't actually match that dialogue during that particular moment or the point they're making. They're just making a very, very literal visual connection, which is actually something that I first learned from making anime music videos because anime music videos, most of the time, the song isn't so close to the story of the anime that it can make a really strong connection. So usually they just do that sort of, you know, someone said underground in the song so the visual is someone stabbing a sword into the ground which is like the most superficial connection but it just it still kind of works in some ways so i'll go from like obvious shots to the the less obvious shots and then 
I'll usually think about um, where accents should go. So maybe I need to break up something and think, okay, what is the action bit here? Because I'll, I'll have that a lot where in my first outline version with all the, the title cards, I'll have like, you know, shot of them doing this, action bit. Shot of them doing this, action bit. And then later on, I'll decide what I consider action to be. It could be something like guns. It could be something like uh, a lever being thrown in a puzzle game. Uh, I'll also think maybe like, oh, the music is doing something here right now, but I don't have anything matching with it, so I should find something. And then somehow it all fills in gradually. Yeah, I do a similar thing where um, when I move on to a a new section, I'll put a couple of lines of dialogue of where I know I'm going, and I'll lay 15 cues that I know are kind of mid-cues or Mm, uh, middle-of-the-trailer cues down and listen to all of those and sometimes i'll even kind of write a list of one to 15 and like this is a two tick cue Mm. because at that point i'll have distilled them where basically they'll all work um but i'll really kind of go through it to to find the perfect one that actually works and and hits my hits my taste like you say because if something hasn't necessarily jumped out at me immediately as the one, then this is a way of kind of narrowing it down and that in a way i guess is similar to the process of everything it's you know, you put in a line of dialogue matched up with another bit of dialogue and all of a sudden the first bit of dialogue could be something else. So you try, you know, you chop and change and you change and you tweak and trailers probably more so than than any other art form are tweaked on a frame-by-frame basis. Everything is kind of generally, hopefully, in very meticulously kind of planned out. Do you obsessively make duplicates of your sequences whenever you're going to maybe delete something or get rid of something like oh my god yeah <laughs> i will duplicate so my kind of thing is um rough cut 01 right. and then i'll do a big kind of structural thing and then that's rough cut 02 and then sometimes i'll mark that as like this is the the one with all the music options and then by the time i've i've chosen music i'll dupe it up and then i'll i'll at least know that i can go back to that and be able to find it as well because once you've got 100 sequences in a bin it's difficult to know what you were. And it's fun at the end sometimes as well. You know, if you've if you've really been in a heavy process of cutting a trailer for two weeks, sometimes it's good at the end to kind of look back at the timeline. It's like a bit of a history of, of kind of how it started. And you can look back at cut 05 and go, ah, oh, I was so innocent back then. I thought that that... <laughs> I thought that that cue would work or that story, I was going to have that character in it, you know. Yeah, because when you said like having 15 cues for the middle, I was just picturing myself, maybe not with 15 cues, but having maybe like five and then just thinking to myself, you know, this one's not as good as this one, but I should keep it somewhere. Okay, I'll make a copy of this timeline and then move on from there. So then the next timeline will have four, the next one will have three, and I'll still have all of those there. And I'm usually not very diligent about labeling. It'll just be like uh, WIP, work in progress, like one, two, three, 15. And then I'm sure on the client side, they're a little confused. Like, why is this version say like 15? And then the one after that says 20. <laughs> yeah, and then if you're in a rush, you get like work in progress, three, 19, final, final, this one. Of course. <laughs> don't lose it, Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> and then sometimes I'll duplicate the same spot a couple of times on the timeline. So if I'm trying mm. out different jokes, then maybe I'll have the same section with the joke in there five times on the timeline, but with different jokes. So I can just kind of go quickly and play this one, this one, this one. Now, 100 sequences is an exaggeration. Um, probably 26 cuts is about usual for a trailer or 26 rough sequences, um, unless it's a really sound design intensive trailer. Um, Oh, speaking of that, um, at what point does sound design and things like that come into your process? 
So sometimes it comes in a little bit while I'm working, but usually it comes towards the end of the process. And for game trailers, I tend to use a lot less sound design than I work on something that's more movie-like. Um, but I'll go through a sequence and just put markers uh, through the whole thing. Say, like, put a rise here, put a, you know, put a hit here, put a whoosh here, and then just slowly fill that out. And I'll put in a lot of sound design and also, at this point, usually check the cuts of the, the different shots to see if they match on the beat. Because sometimes it's a little bit off, so I'll just take that time to just like, move things over there. Yeah, I do a kind of similar thing where, as I'm cutting, I'll, um, I'll have probably the same whoosh in there 20 times because I know it's my standard whoosh and it's my standard rise. And then later through the process... I'll kind of map things out quite rough generally for the whole process. So I'll I'll kind of, again, it's another reason why I don't really like people to, to look at things too early in the process because I'll know exactly what I'm planning to do in my head, but it doesn't necessarily communicate to someone else. So I'll, I'll have stuff kind of roughly and it's roughly kind of timed out and then I'll go back kind of from the, the beginning and and tighten everything up and, as you say, make sure everything's kind of cut on the beat and sound design properly and and then kind of keep going through the trailer methodically from the start to the end and i'll do that a few times or you know over and over again until i have a trailer that i'm happy with um and that's v1 and then i get notes and uh, and then we go from there all right so hopefully you found some tips in there for um starting a process so basically just throw something down on a timeline and uh once you've got something there to, to kind of kick against it will be easier to to carry on and trust your feelings all right so thank you for listening to this episode of the cutdown as always you can contact us at cutdown at idlethumbs.net and we're on twitter at cutdowncast and i am at derek underscore lou and i'm at rick thomas in upcoming episodes we'll be talking graphics for trailers and also spending a whole episode talking about the brilliant questions that you guys have been sending in we're part of the idle thumbs podcast network Uh, Also, please leave us a review on iTunes if you enjoyed the show and tell your friends. And also thanks to our friends at Twisted Jukebox for our intro music. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Ah!